you're a female founder of a tech startup, yet you still feel like an outsider? In a world that is run by Silicon Valley, how do we, women entrepreneurs, create the businesses that change the future while overcoming the barriers of the tech industry? This show cuts through it all and is your guide in exploring tech confidently as you become the best founder you can be. I'm Maxine Kramer, founder and CEO of Menenia, where we want you to own technology and change the world. We fast track bold and impactful women into the world of startups by making tech as simple as everyday English. This means no more overwhelming jargon and instead having the tech literacy to funnel your big ambition into a resounding success. This is Cutting Through Tech. Hello and welcome to Cutting Through Tech. I'm Maxine and today I'm beyond excited to introduce Eleanor Beaton, global women's leadership expert and CEO and founder of Safi Media. To talk about her views on entrepreneurship and how she almost went and created a tech business but ultimately decided not to. Eleanor is globally recognized for her work in journalism, entrepreneurship, leadership and you know has supported and coached some of the biggest female CEOs in the world and I'm extremely lucky to call her my coach as well. She also has a top entrepreneurship podcast called Power, Presence and Position and just is in general someone that I highly respect when it comes to making strategic business decisions. And I think they're so incredibly powerful, which is why I, I often talk about strategy on the podcast. But honestly, Eleanor is queen in this. So in today's episode, really, she takes you behind the scenes of her own business transition and why she ultimately chose a different route to the kind of, you know, raise VC funds and, and turn her business into tech. Because I think Everyone listening to the show is going to have a point in time where they're considering that or it has already happened to you. And so I believe you can resonate to this, this type of thinking. We'll also be looking at her belief and dedication to the concept of elegance in business and how to truly consider the question of where in business am I untouchable? What is my true, extraordinary, uh, unique selling point in this business? And lastly, we also chat about leveraging platforms, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and how creation is the antidote to so many ills. Now, if you believe in doing the impossible, I think you're going to love this episode. So enjoy. Hi, Eleanor. Welcome on the show. I'm so honored and delighted to be here. Well, I'm really excited because for those of you listening who may not know, uh, Eleanor is actually my coach. So, you know, I talk to her quite regularly, but um, it's really exciting to have her on the podcast now. You know what? I love this podcast. I have sort of been here from when you launched it and loved the topic. Um, think that every woman entrepreneur should be listening to this show and thinking about technology as this other currency or language in her business. So it's just exciting to be here and have this conversation with you. Thank you. Well, that's actually um, a very interesting thing because 
you know, you talk a lot about leverage um, in, in how you talk and teach in your business, and we'll introduce your business in a second. And I also know that technology was one of those things that, that you considered. So would you like to give us a introduction, a very short overview of your businesses and how that came to be? Yeah. So I originally started as an entrepreneur years and years ago, and I had a communications consultancy. And so I had a team of contractors and we did communication strategy, planning and execution for entrepreneurs and business owners, for uh, political leaders, for nonprofit groups. It was really all about helping leaders and organizations communicate persuasively and effectively. And so I did that, you know, as an age, it was kind of a bit of an agency type model, an advisory model and a consultancy model. And so in that business, I understood that I was going to need to kind of scale primarily through team. That's what I sort of saw available to myself at the time. And I just didn't want that. And I have learned, you know, that I'm an action taker. So if I'm not taking action on something, it's typically because there's something I need to sort out. Either I don't really want it. I'm just telling myself that I do, or um, there's something, it's just not quite right. So around that time, I you know, was really looking for a way to make more money, to grow my business, to leverage my efforts. I was, you know, I specialized in working with leaders, a lot of very, very successful entrepreneurs and being humble, but not modest. I was like, they're smart, but they're not ridiculously that much smarter than I am. If they can do it, I'm sure I can do it. <laughs> So I started thinking about what I like, right? And how I might be able to leverage my efforts and my knowledge to grow the company. And so that's when I decided I was going to move into the business of selling expertise, which I think is what any teacher, coach, mentor is doing. It's a knowledge economy. We're packaging up knowledge and selling it. And so I started doing that. And that's when I started thinking about how am I going to leverage technology to allow me to do this better, smarter, more effectively. Right, because that's actually a very interesting point because if I recall from our conversations, you had this vision almost of the Netflix of coaching or the Netflix of this kind of business expertise. And so can you tell me a little bit more about what you were considering at that point in time and what you envisioned in terms of technology, what that looked like? Well, it was really a, to solve a problem. And the problem that I was trying to solve is this. What do women entrepreneurs really need in order to be able to grow the way that they want to grow? And we've heard it, you know, especially, you know, in the tech space, well, they need access to networks and they need access to capital. And that is true. But I felt that there was, they also needed access to sort of timely information. And when I thought about most training programs, they're very sequential. So you complete this and then you complete this and then you complete this. On the one hand, that's really helpful because the participant or the learner has a very clear pathway and you're providing an elegant kind of a system. On the other hand, it can be clunky if what you're teaching is not what they need in that moment. And I had yet to see a really effective way of delivering knowledge in this way that was sort of commonplace in my industry. But 
I was noticing that when I watched Netflix, they always seemed to know what I wanted to watch later. Like at the time I was going through this mega breaking bad addiction and they just kept hammering me <laughs> with sort of binge worthy thrillers a la breaking bad. And I was like, this is so interesting. They have these algorithms, they have this technology to be able to feed me on demand entertainment how might I be able to do this in my business? So that's when I started thinking about it. And that's when I started going down the route because I felt very limited. I was having with, by the technology, I was having a lot of conversations with my peers. And what I was realizing was everybody was just kind of doing the same thing. Nobody, there was not a lot of original technology thinking, um, you know, technology influenced thinking and planning that was happening in my industry, there were not a lot of geeks. <laughs> you know, there were not a lot of nerds. And I say that with massive respect. So, um, so that's when I started going on the route of talking to more technology type people, of starting to sketch out what an app might look like, starting to go down the path of securing financing. And I mean, I took it quite far and then ultimately decided it wasn't the way that I wanted to go. But that's really what I was, that was, it was a problem I was trying to solve. It was a gap in the marketplace. There was a need that I saw my clients having, and I wanted to try to use technology to address it and to fix it. So I think this is brilliant because this is a, a pathway that I think a lot of people can relate to because effectively you've just, you know, distilled down what almost anyone that comes to me says and you know that's I see a gap in the marketplace and I I can feel it I've got this idea I've got this concept this knowledge that I want to pass on how can I do that with technology because you know given that we're so connected right now technology feels like the perfect delivery mechanism to get that out to as many people as possible and going in on what you said specifically in terms of algorithms a lot of people think also that is the answer like I wanted to give people what they need at that moment in time, because we've become so accustomed to that, like by our own use of technology. But what I love is, is what you did next. So can you tell me a little bit more? You said you took it quite far, uh, but you decided not mm -hmm. to. What, what was happening in that decision process there? What was happening was this, I mean, to me, I'm obsessed with elegance in business. And when I think about the, the apps and the technology that I use that I like the most and I return to again and again, they're just super elegant. I think about um, the process of hailing a cab, you know, and I remember thinking about uh, hearing about this and I can't remember someone was using this analogy and I loved it. And he was like, you know, before we all used to get cabs and it was just a pain in the butt. And then the founders of Uber come up with an elegant solution that not only solves a problem, but makes it enjoyable to do so. It's fun to get an Uber, you know, or a Lyft. It's, it's fun, it's elegant, it makes the whole process better. And I think that that comes from having this facility with the technology from the beginning. So as I'm going down the road, a couple of things are happening. Number one, I'm seeing, okay, there's a massive disconnect happening here because I sort of know what I want it to do. But everything that I say about what I want this technology to do is based on 
a very elementary understanding of what's possible. Like, I don't even know what's possible. And so I'm having these conversations and I did decide to hire a usability person because I was talking to a lot of people who I knew about how to do this, trying to get as educated. I'm a former journalist, so I just talk to people. That's how I get the lay of the land. And so I hired a usability person to kind of help translate what it was that I wanted to do. Um, he did. And he's like, I think you might actually be better off putting together technology that already exists. When I went to, when I was talking to potential funders, they were, they had zero interest in it unless I was developing a whole new technology, which would have fundamentally changed my business into something else that I knew nothing about. That was terrifying, not in a good way. You know, it was terrifying, not in a good way, in the sense that I did not want to be an app developer or, you know, and I knew that this change would mean that I was now officially, if I were to pursue it, if I were to even be successful with it, I would be a technology company fundamentally. Um, And it just, I just didn't feel like I had the bearings because I didn't actually speak the language. And there was something that I saw that was missing, which is there is a way that I was thinking. You've got your primary language of communication. You've got the international language of business, which is money. (laughs) And then you have this other language, which is like the new language, which is the language of technology. And And a lot of people don't speak it. Not really. We can use it, but we don't fundamentally speak it. And that was bothering me. So that's interesting. I, I want to explore that bothering. But also, what I love is that you decided quite early on in this process then what the actual IP was going to be of your business. And I think that's another thing that I, I love talking about with people because the IP is the bit that can't be replicated. It's obviously the core of your business and why people come to you. And in your case, it's your expertise, your knowledge, what you know about growing businesses and, and the coaching. It's not the methodology of the technology in a way. And and that's what I think a lot of people early on get conflicted about because indeed maybe it's because they don't speak that language or they're not as familiar with how to break a concept down into the technical parts and the, the core IP. And, and rightly so, VCs will come back and say, well, what you're developing is great, but the technology, if what we're investing in, that's going to be the special part. So if that is indeed reusable, or if that is piecing other things together, it may not be as investment worthy at that point in time. So it's really great that actually people gave you that advice as well. And you were able to now break down and get to that next level of your idea. Um, What I find interesting before we move on to what happened next is that it bothered you that you couldn't speak that language. Can you speak a bit more about that? Well, because to me, it's the language of growth. It's the language of the future. It's almost like the people who spoke analog and then we all started speaking digital. <laughs> you know, well, we've gone beyond digital and there's this new language and it's about like technology informed thinking. And that's the part. And it bothered me so much because I felt that without that lens, there was this, these fundamental missing pieces. So we invest in tech companies, you know, and I see it. I see how they think. And that ongoing exposure is super helpful, but how many people are in that situation? So a lot of us are using technology, but we don't actually understand it. 
that's what bothered me. And I felt like this is a language. If I'm going to be here, I really need to learn how to speak the language. And so that's, I think, talking to people like you, talking to the translators, you know, um, I have a couple people in my life that I talk to about this stuff a lot. Um, one of my nephews is a very skilled developer. And anytime we hang out, I am peppering him with questions. And, you know, like, I, I don't want to talk to anybody else. <laughs> I want to talk to him. I'm like, are you sure this is okay? He's like, yes, because he's on the geek squad too. I mean, we all are right. And I'm a massive I'm, I'm like on the, I'm a wannabe geek squad. And so I'll ask him a lot, but these conversations, I feel like everybody needs to have these types of people. I remember a mentor telling me years ago, every businesswoman needs a great lawyer, a great accountant and a great stylist. And I would say also like a great technology translator too, to help her think strategically about how to grow. Yeah. And you're a massive strategist at heart. So I can only imagine not fully grasping an element of that it makes it hard to put the picture together and and you love putting that picture together and all the steps that go towards it and I think that is also indeed why in a way there's a real lack because you can learn how to program there's tons of courses for that um, but in terms of what you need to know at that high level enough so that you can kind of work out what to do next but then again you know not going too much into details there is a bit missing there and i think slowly it's it's starting to to come like obviously this podcast and the work i do but i see also other people in my industry starting to try and address that gap which is really reassuring for me because it's hard to create the future when a huge set of people can't fully access it and there should be no barrier there it really isn't that hard um if i can get business coaching or you know learn about that why not the inverse if you will yeah. And I think it also has to do with our education system. You know, so my kid, I live in Canada, my kids go to good schools in Canada and, and these conversations are not happening. And it's a massive, you know, right now it's, it's as important as math. It's as important as language arts. It's as important as science is this other aspect, which is technology and they do technology education, but I just sometimes wonder if it's, it doesn't feel to me that the depth, you know, that that expertise in teaching it, because I think as a culture, we we're doing it. And a lot of the people who are driving it are the doers. There's not as many of the use of the Maxims, you know, who can translate and sort of go between those two. But whether even in cases where you're not, like I ultimately made the decision, okay, I'm going to step back from this. I need to really figure out what it is that I want it to do and then decide which technology, what is, I mean, need to craft an elegant path to go through this and decide what I want that to look like. And again, it gets back to your customers and clients, your relationship with them and what you want to give them and what you won't give them. You know, because you don't want to, they don't need it. It's unnecessary, whatever. But as I went through that process, I had even more learnings about places where even the technology that I had in the business that I thought I understood, mm -hmm. I didn't. Right. Because fast forward a little bit from that moment in time where you say, okay, maybe I'm not going to pursue the Netflix Avenue just yet. Uh, you now run a multiple seven figure business. You've scaled your team. You're absolutely badass in, in all the ways. You have a very successful podcast. P.S. If you're not listening to it, you should. Uh, power <laughs> presence position. You know, so you, you still 
did all the things you wanted to do. So how, how did that go? How did you do that without technology or at least proprietary technology? I think it's understanding what your IP actually is, like where is the value that you're generating in the marketplace? And whether or not you're a technology company, you do need to build a strong brand. And through that brand, you need to build a strong relationship with your audience and with your customers and clients. And so what I realized is that leveraging technology that exists through things like, you know, podcasting or, you know, social media platforms that allow you as an entrepreneur to go out and track down and find great people, um, bringing them back through one of our core skills as a company, which is media creation and content creation that forges a relationship. And it's through that relationship and through that you know, content creation that we're able to deliver. It's the content itself that delivers the transformation versus the technology. You know, if I think about an Uber, it is the technology that delivers the transformation, ease of, you know, uh, travel. Well, in our case, it wasn't the technology. It could be if you decided that that's what it was going to be. But I decided that the place, you know, where we were going to deliver the value was through the content creation and the relationship with our audience that allows us to pull in the right people and then ultimately have them form relationships with one another, both online and my gosh, hopefully one day offline when we can all travel again, <laughs> we can all travel again. You know, that, that was the, the decision that I made and the choice that I made. And it's interesting because I still see there's still something, you know, so I, we rebranded our company and it what used to be my name, Eleanor Beaton, and, and my podcast was Fierce Feminine Leadership. And then I decided to rebrand it. And so the company is now called Safi Media. And people were like, why is it media? I thought it's a coaching company. I'm like, it is, but we are a media company. Like that's what I see more than anything, you know, in terms of what we are and how we deliver the value that we're known for. I love that. Can you tell me a little bit more? What made you really decide this is it? It was a few things. I started to feel that there were limitations to having the company be named just after me. And I don't mean just after me in a way to sort of put myself down or minimize or anything like that. It's, it's not like that, but I felt that for me, it was about how do I welcome in incredible people into this company? Because the more that I grew, the more that I realized that that it's like, again, how is that transformation being delivered? And it's being delivered through relationship. And so, and so it's like knowledge and inspiration and the content and that content opens the gateway for relationship and through relationship change happens. And so some of those relationships or a lot of them are a relationship that I have with our customers and clients and audience. And then inside that, that relationship is big enough that inside that there are other people in the company um, who have relationships, who are coaches, who are working even more deeply with clients. And I wanted to, you know, I thought about the type of people that I wanted to have. And SAFI actually stands for self-actualized female innovators. And so for them to come, and that's not just who we want to work with, that we are. So for them to come, 
it needed to be a brand that was a reflection of them as well, not only me, while I may be the main spokesperson. So that's where that came from. It was scary. And I did like a lot of things that I do of decisions that I made. I made it, it, there was an instinctive decision that I could rationalize afterward. But I knew, again, it's a competitive advantage. And where, you know, like really asking yourself, where are you untouchable? And where are you, you know, where can you just add tremendous value? And I knew it was through media production. I just knew it. Yeah. You know, and so that's where I was like, that's, this is what it is. And this is where we're going. That's where you are right now. And to people listening who are a bit more at the beginning of the journey, how, what was, what were some of the driving factors for you to scale to where you are today? A lot of it is internal. And so I'm just a competitive person by nature and like to see what's possible for me. Like, what can I do? Um, How far can I take it? And how far can I take it in my way? (laughs) You know, so it's like, how far can I take it? And um, I have a little bit of an inner sort of skeptic that's very helpful as a journalist. So how far can I take it in this way that I do it? So for example, I hate groupthink. I do not like being influenced by how other people think in a in a limiting way. So that's why I like to live like out in the country. I like to spend a lot of time by myself with my thoughts thinking. I like to get input from the best minds and then allow that to sort of percolate and start creating things. So for me, it was about how can I, you know, the thing, the thing that drove me to scale was how can I be the best that I can? How can I keep raising the bar for myself? So it was extremely internal. And I think that's a thing with motivation. Sometimes people will say, especially to coaches, I want you to hold me accountable and I want you to motivate me. And I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to be able to work together because nobody can do that for you. It is 100% inherent. And anybody, if people say they can motivate you, they don't understand what it actually is. All we can do is support and removing barriers, but that internal. So my drive to scale was very much internal. And I just kept believing in the impossible. And I think when you look at a lot of entrepreneurs, um, we don't really understand things like realistic. You know, that word, I don't have a lot of time for it. I just am like, what even is that? Whose realism are we talking about? Entrepreneurs are very can be very aggressive in terms of our goals. And I think this is something that, you know, we're very often very misunderstood about it. So I will set goals and there'll be, there'll be major goals. And if I don't hit them, it doesn't bother me that much because I know, (laughs) you know what I mean? We moved the needle, but one of the things I've had to learn is how to translate that. Um, But that's really where, you know, to answer in a long-winded way, your question, that's where it came from. It was just this wanting desire to explore, to see what was possible and to kind of live my life as, as a, as a kind of a canvas for what is possible for me? How can I, how can I be an example for other people? Definitely. I think that you hear that a lot when you were talking to entrepreneurs, right? There's, there's an element of, of doing it on, on my terms. And, and it's amazing because when you start doing that, you realize it's actually fine and it's completely possible to some extent. Like you say, you may not hit the goal exactly, but you're definitely getting a lot closer. And 
you know, we've got so many fabricated ideas of what's normal or how work should be, how business should be, how family life should be. And actually you can kind of rewrite it to suit you. And the freedom that comes with that is, is amazing. It is amazing. And it totally is amazing. And I mean, I think that the biggest thing, you know, the biggest challenge for entrepreneurs, I think is, um, is this constant space of existing in the gap between what it is that you want to create and where you actually are. So, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're spending a ton of time in a future state, uh, clearly articulating what you want this future state to be, what it is that you want to create, what are the results that you want to bring into reality. And then you've got to come back to the present which is quite different from what that looks like. And I see, you know, I actually think that that one of the fundamental inner strengths for any entrepreneur to be able to cultivate is that ability to exist between those two places. It's the place where I see most people struggling. It's what, it's what causes people to give up. And giving up is why most businesses fail. It's not because the idea sucked because, and lots of ideas suck. You just pivot, <laughs> you know, you iterate. I've never seen an idea that worked the first time. There's generally lots of innovation and pivoting that's happening, but the agony of being here and seeing this other place so clearly and vividly and how you exist in that liminal space and that liminal space between two things is just super challenging for people, especially high achievers. I can definitely relate to that. And whenever, um, you know, whenever yeah. that's described, the thing I always picture is, and I think many people can relate to this too, is you have this image in your head and then you try and draw it and it just looks like a three-year-old did it. And, you know, cause not all of us are born <laughs> artists and that is what it is. But, you know, of course, over time and with practice, if that's what you wanted to do, it would, it would get perfectly better. So it's just reminding yourself that that's actually a very normal thing. You see that in all, all areas of life, not just business. And so just because here you've got a much clearer idea of the future and you feel that tension a lot more doesn't mean that anything is wrong or that you should stop in any kind of way. You know, it's definitely a case of keep calm, keep going. And it's amazing, I think, as well, what happens in a year or just, you know, one or two years. Like a lot of people underestimate what they can actually get done in in a year if they dedicate the time to it. We always start with New Year's resolutions and people give up after a week and think that they can undo things or create stuff in just a day or two. But it's actually small, meaningful action consistently over time that pays off so much, I think. You know, I, I could not agree more. And I think a lot of people intellectually understand resilience but to live it is quite different. It's very challenging, especially if you want to bring a new technology solution into play as an example, you know, is particularly if you want to design an app or something, especially if that's not your background, you want to truly create something new. I mean, I think resilience is so important, but in that place of underestimating and, you know, overestimating what we can do in a day and underestimating what we can do in a year, you know, or something like that, there's something else in there, which is that ability to be open, to learn the skills that you need to learn, to be willing to change, combined with the understanding of where you need to stay true to yourself. Because it's so interesting. Like we were talking about, you know, tech and we we're talking about, I have known all, like every business is going to have its core strength and this place where it's untouchable. 
Like, you know, and when I say untouchable, what I mean is I'm trying to create an emotional response in everybody here to know like you, it doesn't mean you're the very best in the world at this. Sometimes that can be intimidating, but you're just really good. And for most people, that core untouchability doesn't change, you know? And one of the things that I've seen is where you can stay close to that, um, where you can ground yourself in that, that is what allows you to stay true so that you might pivot a lot of things, but the heart of who you are doesn't change unless you're doing that very intentionally. We're going really deep here. I hope people can follow along, but it's like, if you can get that, if you can get that, if you can know where am I going to be open and where am I going to stay true to, to who I am and what we do really well as a company, you can't go wrong. Exactly. And I think the examples there are just the brands that you, you know, it's, there are certain companies that you can see that have been around for a long time. They've done a lot of different things, but there is that core element that stays. And I think that's just a, a, um, example of what you're describing. And it's harder sometimes to see that yourself or when you, but looking back, even at your life, I think not even just business, what are some of the core elements that you always keep coming back to or a certain vision or a value or a way of life? And how does that inform what you're trying to do now? And I think cultivating that intuition as well, um, is, is so key. Like you say, to know when to pivot and when to stick with stuff. Yeah, totally. Totally. Couldn't agree more. Great. So, you know, you've got big plans for the future and, uh, I know you're, you've done your rebrand and, um, where, where, what's next and how does technology still play a big role in that? Or is it, you mentioned Safi media, so it is definitely a direction of media, but how is technology going to support that? And it's hard to talk about it without talking about this year. So first of all, you know, the, the kind of separation that we all have is massive, you know, just that feeling of disconnection. It's been very, very difficult, very hard on people's mental health. Um, you know, it's hard to talk about the year 2020 without sort of talking about that. And then on top of that, because what we replaced in-person connection with was things like Zoom connection, one of the things I started to notice is that I did not want to consume information online. I did not want anything that had to do with me being in front of my computer unless it was potentially meeting or getting together or something like that. So I started to pay attention to that. And I was like, hmm, what is it that I want that, that I want? And I started to want actually much more tangible things. <laughs> so Interestingly, when I think about, and I also wanted stuff, so I, you know, audio, for instance, so audio where I could take it with me and go for a walk or that kind of thing, hard copy books that you can sit with and have a cup of coffee with and go through. I started to notice that this is what I was craving. And I suspect that our people were craving it too. I also started to notice increasing frustration with uh, Mr. Zuckerberg <laughs> and like, you know, a lot of the com, like the big social platforms. And that was interesting for me, I think for any community organizer, it's it, where community plays an important part. We're very much caught in this. We're in a catch 22 because I have done my research and with people who have taken their communities off things like Facebook, you start to see plummeting engagement because people aren't using these. You have to retrain a new addictive behavior, <laughs> you know, which is difficult to do. He's done such a great job. 
So I, there's a swirl of things happening, but what I am trying to pay very close attention to, and I think, you know, as far as what comes next, there's what's going on with me and what I'm noticing, but it's really coming from my relationship with my audience, you know, with my clients and what do they, what is exciting them? What is, and there's this return to tactile, I think. So what does that mean for technology? It actually probably means that for us, a lot of the technology that we'll look at will be fulfillment and logistics technology. How do we effectively get tangible stuff out to people? What's the best way to do that? What's the best way to handle print on demand? What's the best way if we want to actually have textbooks that we can send to people? How do we do that? It's logistical technology more so than potentially communications technology. So this, these are the thoughts that are going around kind of in my brain as far as what technology looks like. I love that. And, you know, same, I love a good book. I love something good hands-on. And, you know, weirdly enough, don't we sometimes miss school where you, you got ready for school, you had your notebooks, you had your stationery, you had your textbooks and everything's ready and you can scribble your notes. And, you know, there's something I think as well about if you're trying to facilitate learning in a as you know 360 degree way as possible there are different touch points and having physical books and hearing things seeing things writing things reading things all together can you know it means that i think content just sinks in so much better oftentimes we look at a piece of material online and we just watch it and you know maybe one point sticks with you but you forget half of it so I, I really love that idea and I love how you indeed describe it as much more around fulfillment and logistics and that's another thing people think of one thing when they hear the word technology but it's everywhere and it enables and facilitates so much so it's much more about I think what do you want to do as a business and what of that needs to be as automated and smooth as possible such that it can help you do that but it doesn't have to be the core or the end all and be all of things. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting is that, um, you know, if you look at, so if, if from an entrepreneurial perspective, if you look at what technology has done, technology has contributed to massive wealth creation and massive information consumption, you know, and one of the big challenges, and I think this is especially for women, and that's why I love this show and have shared it and will continue to share it because we need to be having these conversations, which are not just about con consuming. So for instance, I'm just going to go on a bit of a rant here. I, um, I have been seeing the inordinate a number of people who are dancing and pointing in the air for Instagram reels right? Insta reels. It's all about you're dancing, you're pointing. Um, I sound super crusty, like a crusty old lady here, but that's cool. I'm all fine. Like this is not a criticism of doing it, but this is where particularly women are spending massive amounts of energy, creating engagement on other people's platforms rather than, you know, having conversations about like this, where it's like, Hey, how do we, how do we own the platforms? And it doesn't have to be like, how do we leverage the platforms in a way that truly benefits our business? What's possible? So it's not just followership that's dictated by people who want us to be addicted to platforms, but it's taking a look at how do we want to use it? What's going on? And again, I think that, you know, as an entrepreneur, it is the heart of it always is your relationship with your audience. So I just want people to be to be thinking at a deep level about 
their customers and what they need rather than, and be aware of all the places in which we are now in someone else's world. Like as an entrepreneur, you want them in your world. Zuckerberg and the tech platform creators have an amazing job. Why are they so wealthy? Because they created a universe and we all went into it. How can we create micro universes and micro economies and bring people into those and get really rich doing it? I think we should think about that <laughs> a little bit more and dancing on Insta a little bit less. And people are going to be like, it's rude, Eleanor. That's so rude. It's fine. I mean, you know what? Dance on Instagram if you want. Dance on Instagram if you want. Point at the air if you want to. I'm good with that. There's so much I want to say there because I think if you start intersecting technology and, and kind of women, uh, women's rights and, and feminism, there's so much there where I think on the one hand, it's helped platforms like Etsy or, you know, blogging in its entirety has opened up an entire line of work for, for many women. But equally, I think, and this runs so deep, there's still something about women and the worth of themselves. You know, women, we have to be seen right? We have to be beautiful. We have to be pretty. We have to be photographed and captured in some way. And that is our worth somehow for some bizarre reason. And so dancing on Instagram and getting those likes, you know, it's what we grew up being told, right? If you look at keeping up with Kardashians and everything. So, so many, especially young girls want to be Insta famous because that is where the worth is. And that's upsetting on so many levels. I mean, again, like you say, dance on Instagram if that's what you want to do. Dance on Instagram if you're funneling that into a business as an entrepreneur. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there, it is interesting how certain beliefs in our culture have just translated online and almost exasperated it in a way that I wonder what what is next sometimes, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because a lot of the addictiveness of these platforms is actually encourages a lack of innovation. So there's not a lot of true, we're living in the great age of technology where the only the tiny, tiny few are actually innovating, the rest are following. And so it could be a simple matter of because, you know, it's interesting. I, again, I think you have to pay attention to your instincts around this. I started having this instinct recently of making things ugly. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I was like, you know what? I want to make a very ugly sales page and it will literally be 4,000 words long and it'll be black words on a page. And this is not new or innovative, by the way. This is like classic old school direct response style. But there's this whole thing where I'm like, I do not want it to be beautiful. I do not want to be airbrushed. I just want my ideas to come out because who do I listen to? Where, you know, where can I, where can we bring back, like resuscitate something that worked in one industry and bring it into our industry? What are the norms in my industry? Do I like those norms? Can I smash them in some way? And how can I halt this followership that happens when you have massive tech platforms that are created to be addictive? We think that they only impact kids, but they impact all of us. So we become kind of a sheeple society, which is anti why so many women got into entrepreneurship to begin with, to be free. This is a larger conversation, but it's, but there's so much freedom, you know, when you just are aware of what's going on and you think to yourself, does this work for me? 
And rather than whining about it, do something, create, (laughs) you know, don't whine, create whine for a little bit. That's fine. But then go create something, go do it. You know, creation is the antidote to so many ills. And, and on that point of addiction, it's true because it is literally a whole host of people's jobs to sit there in a meeting room, brainstorm and think about how can we increase engagement? How can we make sure people are on this all day, every day? And, you know, no amount is enough. You could spend 10 consecutive hours on Instagram and they still be like, how can we get that number up? Because, you know, that's a business and business exists to make money. So it's, a, you know, these business models are, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about this. So I'll just pause it here because we're going to be here for a long time otherwise. I know. (laughs) But yeah. But here's the thing though, that feeling that you feel. Yeah. And the feeling that I feel, that's the lifeblood. That's what we're looking for. You know, when we feel that way, that generally, if we can, if we, when we funnel that into something constructive, so much good. Steve Jobs talked about, the primacy of righting a wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and how so many great companies are built from this desire to right a wrong. So that energy, it can be uncomfortable, but it's so powerful and constructive when put to good use. 100%. And this is why women are going to create a better digital future. So thank you so much for taking us really behind the scenes of your entire entrepreneurial journey. Um, and you know, that, that thought process that comes around considering technology, which I love what you've done because I think everyone should consider it and then they should make a very deliberate choice about it and, you know, get back to the root of what you're trying to do, what will best support the business. It's not about what's cool, but more about indeed, what does your audience want? What do they need and how can you best get that done? So that was very inspiring. Thank you. And I loved also what you were saying earlier about people creating their own platforms, right? And instead of just spending all that time on other platforms. So how can people learn more about that? Because I know that's an upcoming big topic for you. And how can people, you know, just get more of you in general and work with you? Oh, thank you for that segue. So there's two places I think that people should go. So one, if you really want to see sort of platform creation, and for me, again, it's about the platform is all about intimacy and really tight connection um, with people. So I would go to eleanorbeaton.com forward slash join. That is an old school email list. I know people are like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Another email list? Yeah. And you're going to get three amazing emails a week. <laughs> and people tell me that my emails are the only ones that they read other than ones coming from their personal friends because I make it my mission to be entertaining. So I would go there because that's where, like if you resonated with the, the way that we're talking about things today and just kind of the point of view and how sometimes having this alternate point of view can just kind of unlock something where now you're, you know, you're thinking about things differently. I would get on that list um, to check out those emails from me. And then also, of course, the podcast power presence position. Uh, it was such an honor to be here. You know, th- this conversation, as soon as I heard about the work that you were doing, I was just like, this work is so important because we as women cannot only be consumers of this. We need to be not only creators of technology, but shapers of technology. And so I think I just can't emphasize enough how important the work that you're doing is and how people really need to pay attention. 
Thank you so much, Eleanor. That means a lot. And uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, you heard it there, folks. And the podcast, I, by the way, have recommended this podcast to so many of my friends, and they fall absolutely in love with it. Um, <laughs> there's a certain level of sass and deep educational knowledge in there that is just a very addictive combination talking about <laughs> different, you know, addictions. So that's right. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Go, go check out the podcast and more of Eleanor. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. Um, it was an absolute pleasure. And thank you for, for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you, Eleanor. And I hope you had a great time listening to that conversation. Uh, I, I just always love chatting to Eleanor and her viewpoint on business and her insight. I find truly um, refreshing, I think is the best way of putting it. And um, I just, you know, even that piece around how you exist in the gap of where you are and where you want to be and, and that that is actually what in many ways entrepreneurship is, I think makes it relatable and suddenly also makes all of the struggle just make so much sense. You know, it's like, well, of course, if I'm stuck in between those two things, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but ultimately it's going to be worth it because, you know, I have a vision of where I believe things should be. And so I'm going to work towards that every single day. So if this was your jam, go listen to Eleanor and join her, her newsletter. She's right, actually. It's a, it's a very entertaining read. And um, if you relate to that feeling of, you know, not speaking the language of tech and, and, you know, finding it tricky to now strategize about your business and next steps and what you know not sure who to work with who to hire to kind of get to that next level of technology in your business um i invite you to check out tech literacy it's a program that we are now running at Menenia, which is indeed all about teaching you that language of technology so there are links in the bio for that as well and otherwise i hope you have a fabulous week and I will see you back here later this week for a very exciting new series all about capital investment. See you next time.